0: the Jewish Divorce Project, because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. You're easy. It's amazing. How's it going?
1: Good. Are your parents still there?
0: Yeah, they're right outside.
1: How long are they staying? Are they staying with you through Pesach?
0: forever well my house has a yeah as a guest house in the back where oh, they okay stay. gotcha okay but it was just finished right before covid so they never actually came and stayed but now they have
1: <laughs> did they get the vaccine were they able to
0: so they got covid right before they came um and then they got the vaccine here so they kind of feel like why go back to canada where everything's shut down and like florida's nice weather and be here and my kids and stay with our
1: daughter and a free house it's awesome right yeah
0: amazing
1: <laughs> do they ever stay with your other siblings
0: short term like this there's a totally separate house back there like some days i don't see them at all you know mm. it's like i mean that's rare i see my dad right now in the back <laughs> i mean it's like outside in the backyard um but like it's self-sufficient they don't need me But they'll visit my other siblings, but nobody has a setup like that where it's separate. But this was intentional.
1: See, I wonder, because my mom, she was one of two kids, and she was the one who ended up taking care of her folks when they got older. So I'm always kind of curious about what that looks like in families of multiple children. Oh,
0: it's going to be me. And I used to joke about it all the time. And I used to tell them just be careful because I'm going to put you in a nursing home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am not good at changing diapers. I will not change yours.
0: It's totally going to be, I just know how this is going to pan out. When do you um, think you realize that? It's irony of life. Cause yeah. I, I have the biggest like struggle with them. So it just, the like natural course of things is that it's going to be me. Are um, you the oldest child? No, I'm the middle. Interesting. Yeah. Your
1: brother's the oldest. It's
0: just like, the way it's going to work out, like my oldest sister is remarried with young kids. So she's going to be dealing with that for a while. And then the mm-hmm. next sister has six kids and lives in Israel. And like, there's that. And then the wait, other how many one-
1: kids are there in your family? Six. Jesus, I only thought there were three of you.
0: Oh no, we just go on and on and on.
1: Wow. So yeah. you're one of six and you're right in the middle.
0: It's a very big debate in my family because six is even, but I share the middle with my younger brother, but he's the first boy. So I'm like, I claim middle childhood 100%. You have no claim to this at all. Um, so I will state proudly that I am the middle child, but he claims we share it.
1: I'm laughing for two reasons. One is because I also share a middle space with my sister. I was middle child until we got a fourth. Uh, and so she now shares it with me and she claims some weird newfangled middle child syndrome. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm the original. Get the fuck out of here. You're, you're uh, so encroaching.
0: Because I'm, I'm older, but we had three girls. Yeah. I was the third girl. And yeah. then a boy, like, and a boy, the first namesake after my grandfather who died. So like, Get out get the fuck out of town. Like it's not even You were not
1: worth anything at that point. You're getting lost in the show. I was
0: redundant and You might as well not have been born. Exactly. Completely (laughs) unnecessary. And so he has no claim to this
1: this is um, daughter number one this is daughter number two somehow we got this one right before a boy and this here's is here's another
0: one right and here's another daughter. one yeah.
1: <laughs> i'm also laughing because you said it's an even six is an even number and all i kept thinking about were all those stories in the talmud where the rabbis are like no even numbers we must have odd numbers you can have even numbers
0: i don't even know those stories like oh my god everything like there's, the a wonder- thing?
1: there's a wonderful story in the talmud i think it actually takes place during uh track tape sakim about how if you encounter like a demon along the road when you're walking home drunk, right? It's Um, because you
0: counted in even numbers?
1: Well, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, essentially the demon says you and me, were two, we're like a pair, right? And then you're supposed to take your thumbs and put them in each other's hands, like put them in your hands like this. And this creates a third person apparently. So when you do this and you say to the demon, you and I are three and you go like back and forth until like, I don't know, 101 or something, the demon finally explodes.
0: I love all these ways to trick like God and trick demons. It's amazing. Like you trick God in so many ways. It's It's so funny to me. Do you know anything about like an Arab Tavshilin? like
1: yeah yeah, yeah like yeah.
0: oh i cooked a matzah and an egg i'm clearly not cooking for shabbos it's clearly because everything's about matzah if you have matzah then like you trick god that's my thing I'm like oh just bring matzah then Hashem well, they're Zim. all
1: loopholes the eruv itself is a loophole right because you're stringing all these buildings together so technically you can carry in them and
0: right you know and, i
1: mean in so los I, angeles we're, we have an eruv that's set up by the highways Right? So it's huge. It's like miles and miles and miles long. So you're no. saying you can carry within that because technically everything's connected by the highways.
0: That's amazing. You don't even need matzo for that trick.
1: Uh, speaking of matza, Passover's coming. Are you all prepared? Have you even started cooking or cleaning or anything? Are your parents driving you crazy?
0: Um, I hate Pesach. It's my least favorite holiday because really? it's the most demanding. Yeah. And I think it just really, really, really encourages this um, OCD... Um, guilt, shame. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing it good enough. My sister actually told me that a friend of hers is a nurse in Israel, and they see so such an increase of hospital intakes right before Pesach, Passover. Be, yeah, because of the anxiety, because there's so much anxiety, and I totally can see that.
1: Wait, is that in the Haredi community or in other? I would imagine it's in more Israel? in the
0: Haredi community where there's this belief that it just has to be such a strict, stringent way, yeah. and. I want to say I can find some respect for that, but at the same time, is that really how it's supposed to be? Um, it just seems so over the top and it like, I really can respect tradition and practice. I have a hard time when people go above and beyond for no reason um, without knowing the rules or the laws, but just thinking that that's how it's supposed to be and making your life crazy. And it just creates such a distaste and um, a dreariness at the same time, I'll play devil's advocate. The the harder you work, the more of a relief it is when it's like finally like done and you've worked so hard and you kind of get to reap the benefits of all that hard work. So I, I, I can I've, see it, but it's hard.
1: I've come to really get frustrated with the seven day holidays, whether they're Sukkot or Hanukkah or even Passover. It's like, why seven days? Why do we constantly need Like two days I get, like two days is enough. if you want to spend that on a major spiritual moment right of deep reflection and introspection i get two days that makes sense but like the seven day thing is just i get it's ordained in the torah so like that's what it is that's what our traditional practice is but it's just so much i feel like it's over and over and over again and and you're right in terms of like the hyperness of it, it it can get overwhelming look i remember as a kid there was a certain amount of fun to it a certain family tradition when you would lug these big you know, boxes of plates up from the basement and pots and pans and do all this cleaning. And there's a nice kind of familial element to it. But if you're handling all that on your own and you take it to a whole other level, that's absolutely crazy. They, they actually talk about that in Sukkot, right? You're supposed to dwell in the sukkah, You're supposed to sleep in it and eat in it and do all your regular affairs in it. But the moment it gets uncomfortable to do so, because the sukkah's nature, because it's supposed to allow weather in and things like that, if it started raining and it got uncomfortable to be there... You have to get out because it ruins the experience. So why doesn't the same thing apply to Passover? Similarly, it applies to Yom Kippur. You're not supposed to fast out of competition. You're not supposed to fast out of, you know, exhaustion to the point where it brings you pain or passing out. It's not supposed to be like that. It's. Supposed I mean, yes, to you are. To the point of passing out.
0: There's very strict rules with Yom Kippur in terms of who's allowed to eat food. That's really rare to get that kind of leniency. Even if you're in pain or you are need to be in bed, you, you should be fasting according to the rules. I completely agree.
1: No, no, no. no. I, I'm in agreement with you on the spiritual practice and the stringency and the discipline that goes into fasting. There are some people I don't think know their limits, right? And who think that regardless of their circumstances, they're going to fast anyway. And who don't necessarily know how to handle it. And I'm not talking about the people who get like caffeine headaches because they haven't had a cup of coffee all day and they need it. Those are the people that probably should be fasting and dealing with the caffeine headache is okay. My point is to say it's not supposed to be a physically damaging, right, experience. None of our rituals are supposed to be physically damaging. They're supposed to be spiritually uplifting. So the irony there, right, in terms of what you're talking about, how it gets just so overwhelming, whether that's personally or for people in Israel, well, speaks to that danger.
0: You know, I it brings up brings to mind something that I struggled with a lot post-divorce and and in my journey away from my traditional Orthodox roots, because I grew up with this kind of mentality that sacrifice equaled meaning. Yeah. And when I started giving up sacrifice, where I started thinking, oh, life is great and easy when yeah. I don't, when I'm not this strict and I'm more lenient, and I didn't have so many areas where I was sacrificing. I had to question where am I finding meaning in my life? And that was similar to divorce and relationships, especially people who end up getting divorced. There's a lot of sacrifice and you do need to sacrifice to some degree in relationships. There's this coming together of two people and two desires and two needs. And there is there is a necessity to give up a little bit of yourself um, to what means and to what end. And how do you know when it's enough and how do you know when to not sacrifice?
1: And there's a difference between sacrificing, you know, things that you enjoy, right? Whether, I don't know what that is. So just certain things that you enjoy, but can live without, right? And then also sacrificing part of yourself, who you are. There, There is a real difference in those things. And I don't think those things that you enjoy necessarily need to be you, right? The entirety of you, whatever they are. Um, maybe it's playing poker. Maybe it's, I don't know, going out to concerts with friends till late night or late night or something like that, or you know, playing poker regularly, whatever those things are, they don't need to you define You said poker
0: you. twice. What does poker mean to you?
1: Did I say poker twice? I don't <laughs> Tell know. Tell us a little
0: bit about poker, Noah. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Maybe it's smoking marijuana. I've done that before and it's certainly been asked to give that up for relationships. So, you know, it could be any one of those things. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that defines you, but there's a difference between what you sacrifice for the relationship and then what also you sacrifice about yourself for the relationship. So what does that look like? Uh, I think you raise a really interesting point and it reminds me of, I've been going to City of Hope for clinical trials for the vaccine. And so I'm fully vaccinated now, which is great. I've got an up-to-date version, it's awesome. Uh, And so there's a sign there that they have uh, this little uh, pathway and it says, there's no profit in curing the body if in the process we destroy the soul.
0: There's no, what was the first word you said? There's
1: no profit in curing, there's no profit in curing the body if in the process we destroy the soul, right? So like, what's the the point of going through these ritual celebrations, which should make us feel good, right? And bring us to like this new plane of enlightenment in some way, but because of their nature, like you're talking about in terms of the stringencies and the requirements and everything that you have to do to prepare for it and the type of guilt and shame you could feel, well, what's the real purpose if in the end it destroys the soul element of it, it destroys all the meaning that goes into it. So maybe it's not about sacrifice. It's not entirely about sacrificing or,
0: things. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And and I guess in playing devil's advocate, and one of the things that I did struggle with in after my divorce and in moving away from the stringency of orthodoxy was how to create meaning outside of sacrifice. So sacrifice creates this, I've given up for the greater good. There's a reason for why I've gone through all this struggle, challenge, pain, because there's almost, it redeems the experience. And how do you create this redemptive experience without the struggle? Yeah. And I, I think it's, I don't really necessarily have an answer. It's something that I've personally been trying to find an answer to in just in life in general. Yeah. And Do, do we need the struggle to create meaning? I, I definitely don't stand by this extreme, self-penitent, um, obsessive approach to life or practice or religion as the way to find meaning. Uh, I don't believe in that kind of extreme approach. And so definitely taking more of a balanced approach of, okay, having, um, it's funny, this has come up a lot this week of how to how to, uh, reconcile these two kind of opposite notions of self-compassion and leniency in a way um, with standards and achievement and maybe pushing even, yourself um, yeah pushing yourself and i think that plays into this conversation and and i think that they do go well together of just being compassionate in the moments of failure in the moments that you're not meeting those standards because you're human and it's not possible and and well, you know may, with Passover with with relationships with divorce there's an expectation and there's a standard that we can't always meet. <laughs> and what do you what does that look like for you? What's your self talk in, in those moments when you haven't met those standards when you yeah. failed, which yeah. we all will inevitably do? That's the area for leniency and not to sit back and say, okay, I don't give a shit, <laughs> or I'm the worst. But okay, I've made a mistake, and what can I do better? How can I improve?
1: I can't tell you the all of the conversations that I've been having on Clubhouse about this. I don't mean to keep mentioning it, but it's relevant in the sense that that's exactly the type of theme that keeps coming up in the sense of wanting to push ourselves and try to be better, right? Not be defined by divorce, which is one thing, but then just also just try to be better at whatever it is, right? I can be a good single parent, right? I can take care of myself and self-soothe, right? I can you know, live my life as a single person with pride and with dignity, and I can go out there and be an awesome dater or something like that, or an awesome partner to someone else.
0: Let's pause there. What is an what, awesome dater?
1: I don't really know what an awesome dater Tell is. Tell me
0: more about being an I have awesome this, dater.
1: I have this concept, though, from all these conversations, too, that there's some type of like unachievable male figure out there that all women want to date who does like everything right on the date, like everything you could possibly imagine. But that's my point is to say is that- Wait, like,
0: wait can you share the things that you've been told you've been Doing wrong on a date?
1: No, I don't. That's, that's like a whole other <laughs> uh, series Vincent of goals. podcasts. <laughs> that's like a whole other series of podcasts, which raises a good idea how I screw up at dates. Don't take this <laughs> dating advice.
0: That's that's great. It's like the anti-advice. <laughs> but that's my point is that
1: like there is a lot of pressure to like push yourself and to like be better than the current circumstance and to improve in some way uh and to just work hard at that. And and then there's got to be an element of real self-forgiveness too. Yeah. Or else you're just gonna, I mean, I can't do the good single parent thing all the time. I can't, I snap, it's not possible. I snap at my kids and I and I need to apologize to them. And there are times where being a single person is really a bummer. And, uh, you, you know, sometimes I just have to forgive myself and love myself in the process. But I do think, you know, even with all this pressure to like push yourself, there is, and like, there is a real spiritual element to passover that i think matters for me in divorce and that is the cleaning of chametz right this idea that like bread during the regular course of the year represents like how puffy we are and and matzah represents how humble we're supposed to be because it's so flat and so you know while we go through passover it's this time of renewal we're like okay i'm going back to this state of humility there's still like this need to clean things out to make sure that there are no leftover crumbs of the puffiness of self, you know, leftover from the last year and ego. Yeah, thank you, psychologist. Ego, which stand in the way of a lot of things. And it's just, you know, for me, that practice is actually the, the really getting in there and the getting to the vacuum in between the couch cushions and getting behind things to all the places where I may have taken food and left that baggage over is actually really important, and just like the whole idea of doing that cleaning. And I wonder, you know, what crumbs I have left over, what pieces of chametz I have left over from my marriage and my divorce that I could be bringing into new relationships around me, whether or not they're romantic or platonic. Right? What am I bringing over from failed things? Uh, that really need to be cleaned out and burned. I, I, that's really much on my mind this time of the year.
0: I think that ties beautifully into being a bad dater because even though you're not <laughs> talking entirely about romantic relationships, yeah. that's the arena that you're gonna see. Yeah. What's left over. Yeah. What patterns are coming up? What's the same? What are you attracted to? What's attracted to you? What do you notice about how you're reacting that felt similar to your past relationships or your marriage? That's what dating is for. It's that um, that process of cleaning, (laughs) of noticing, oh, of and of looking. That the the right? Of looking for the chametz. That's that's dating.
1: Yeah, but then there's also got to be an element of letting it go. And how do you burn it all? Right? How do you get rid of it? And what process are you using to actually go into the darkness? I mean, that's what it is. You know, like even when you do you know, all the cleaning in your house during the daylight, you still have this ritual of doing it in the darkness, which I think is really just symbolic of how we generally live our lives, that, you know, we're enveloped by our own self-interest and our own world. And sometimes we need to shine light on some parts of ourselves that we may not see on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and so I don't look at it as doing it in the darkness, it's actually doing it in really, hyper-focused light.
1: Hyper-focused light, what do you mean by hyper-focused light?
0: Well, you do it with a candle or a flashlight. And so you're doing it within this very intentional brightness, not in the darkness. You're not looking in the darkness, you're looking with the brightness. And and maybe in the metaphor, the darkness is the pain, the darkness is the transition, the darkness is the unknown, the things that we don't know or can't see. And then it's just sitting and noticing, go on a date, what felt good? What didn't feel good? I send a text and they don't respond. What what's my thoughts? What am I thinking? What am I believing? What are my beliefs about myself and about other people? What can I, mean, I do differently that I've done in the past? You know, so just noticing and making changes.
1: So a lot of different things can be the light.
0: I a think lot the, things for can me, the light public. is the reflection, the awareness. The light is inwards of paying attention. Because for the most part, most of us, and maybe I'll speak for myself, I didn't grow up paying attention. When I got married, I wasn't so aware of my patterns and my reactions and my responses and my beliefs. And that's changed because I've reflected and I've thought about things and I've like put on the light on, on myself.
1: I guess it's those moments of triggering too, right? If you're triggered by something, that's a light.
0: Yes. Why is this bothering me? I mean, I have a a, question, a favorite question that I that I love. What am I making this mean?
1: What am I making this Find mean?
0: Find all the hidden bread.
1: Have you made meaning out of your divorce?
0: Whoa, have I made meaning out of my divorce? Um, I I think so. I definitely would need to think more about this question, but I think so because I've changed. I've grown I've moved beyond it and I'm in a happy and good place in my life and I think my divorce not in it's not in spite of my divorce but it's be, it's because and through through it and I think that that's what meaning is it would holds agree. a valuable place in my life
1: well I'm at a two-year point right now so for me it feels very much uh, like this is the meaning making point of it which is why I think kind of Passover speaking to me so spiritually now even if I don't really have the energy for it, right? To put together anything big or, you know, we're going most minimal this year. We'll Zoom with family, but who I miss terribly. And that's probably part of the reason for my low energy level with it. But, you know, I think part of it is thinking about, you know, what, you know, like what does a promised land look like in some way, right? What does leaving it behind mean, right? What does it mean to constantly be in transition? And so I'm fascinated by, just the idea of looking inward right now and what that really looks like. What are the crumbs I have left over that I really want to burn to make sure that they don't, you know, turn into big old loaves of bread in new circumstances, whether they're romantic relationships or not. I mean, I certainly appreciate that sentiment and those can probably be the most triggering, you know, given everything, but then there's all these other elements we've talked about the divorce trauma, right. And the social anxiety that can potentially come with it. Right. And also then just what it means in general, in terms of being back out there in the world, right. Being in a, in a real kind of wilderness situation. I'll
0: tell you what I've noticed and maybe it kind of answers your question of where's the burning, where's the beer, Hametz. Yeah. It's that it's very hard to get rid of those thought patterns and those beliefs that we have about ourselves. They're installed pretty deeply when we're children. And when we, we, we develop these core beliefs and, I still have reactions and beliefs and feelings that that are hard and challenging and um low like um very limiting beliefs about myself that get triggered all the time. Yeah. It, that, that doesn't go away. I don't know even know if there's work that can be done that actually completely makes that disappear. The burning the change the change the transformation is in what are you going to do now? Can you make a different choice? once you have that realization can you choose a different action that doesn't take you down the same path that you've gone down over and over again i've noticed that over the years that i've got more control over my choices and my actions i still have the same dialogue the same self talk the same beliefs the same fears those are hard to get rid of the same insecurities
1: i think that's where my problem was i appreciate the the new notion that you've given it here that it's the burning is not an actual destruction the burning Burning is a transformation. That's what it is. Yeah. The Hamates turns into smoke. And so, whatever the Hamates is, we transform it into something else. That was what I was getting hung up on. That's really good. So, when it comes up, what do we transform it into? Like when I feel the self doubt coming on, you know, I turn it into self love
0: if you can yeah and then not just in your thoughts but in your actions so if in the past yeah if in the past when you felt self-doubt do you go drown your sorrows in alcohol do you hide yourself up in a room do you lash out at people if that's your response what can you do differently while still feeling the same the feelings are usually still there yeah but can you redirect can you notice of like i can make a different choice in this moment yeah i'm feeling like shit, but Maybe I can do something differently.
1: And in many ways, the things that you would do to avoid those negative feelings fade away because what you're doing now is something different to avoid those negative feelings, but they're healthy things, like the self, yeah. right? Transforming it in different ways. So you mm-hmm. are avoiding it. And that notion that they will always be there is actually really helpful. It reminds me of Yehuda Amikai poem where he talks about the continuity of his life is neither, you know, in Egypt or in the promised land but it's you know in between everything right walking through the water you know you're kind of constantly always walking through it and find, figuring out different ways to transform it yeah it's a raging sea and then if you mm. walk through it there's real transformation but you're constantly in that transformative state
0: you're constant, and oh i want to make it I want to make it jewish that's Uh-oh. the retelling of the story that's what i got us that every year we retell the story it's the same story oh, we retell hell. ourselves the same yeah. story over and over and over Nicely again. Done
1: nicely done are. are you jewish or something i'm kind of jewish just a little <laughs> that was good. i
0: just ordained myself <laughs>
1: that was good torah very nice very nice i'll give you smicha. you got it
0: thank you they're doing all these you
1: know independent orthodox uh note right now so we'll give you one too Why not? i do
0: not think i qualify but here uh, in this we, land i do in we'll the land of podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm the podcast rabbi right the, uh, the podcast rabbi Oh, the podcast of Rebe. That's right. <laughs> uh, okay, it's time to get back to cleaning. Um, yeah, the, I think
0: we dropped some good morsels. I agree. Of, of crumbs here.
1: I agree. I agree. Friends, if you've got a Passover liberation story that you want to share with us, or is Passover speaking to you uh, in your life in some way, particularly right now, we'd love to hear about how it does. You can reach out uh, to us at www.thejewishdivorceproject.com or at uh, the Jewish Divorce project at gmail.com.
0: And you can find us on social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, and our contact information is on all those platforms. So feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you, questions, comments, concerns. Sure search for the
1: jewish diverse project on instagram and facebook you gotta
0: and have a wonderful passover
1: Uh, everyone have a kosher and meaningful passover in which you uh, find some light and liberation
0: peace